Welcome to The Uncomfortable Truth. Today we're talking about overkill. You ever hear anyone say that someone else is belaboring the point? A woman was trying to explain a bill to me the other day, and I understood what she was saying, and I said, okay, that's good, yet she kept telling me. And I said, I've got it, I'll pay it. And she said, no, let me tell you what. She had to explain it her way. It didn't matter what the other party thought. It was overkill. Marshall McLuhan, the rather brilliant guy who talked about the medium as the message and hot and cool media, said once that the price of eternal vigilance is indifference. And that is, if you're constantly on guard, pretty soon you lose your focus. This is why TSA at the airports is so problematic. How long can you look at a screen, even if you relieve regularly, and still pay rapt attention? I know I couldn't. I can't even sit in a meeting. Well, the same thing with constant harping. You know, when we were kids... Our parents, usually our mother would say, don't run with a stick in your hand, you'll poke your eye out. Yet I've never seen a neighborhood with one-eyed kids, even though they were running with sticks. Don't play in the street. Yet it was the only place we had to play, and nobody was hit by cars. Don't talk while you're in line, they told us in grammar school. I never understood that. Why couldn't we talk? There was actually a category called deportment on our report cards. I didn't do so well, yet I speak for a living. We hear the same thing today, though, as adults. Buckle it or ticket. That's nice rhyming, right? Buckle your seatbelt or get a ticket. It sounds like, you know, if the, does, if the glove doesn't fit, I'll quit. If you drink, don't drive. Well, you can drink a little and drive. If you see something, say something. Yeah, but how much? To whom? Why don't we just chicken little? But also, on a more serious note, today we hear things like, you're a racist, you're anti-Semitic, it's white privilege, black lives matter, occupy and you fill in the blank, the war on women, the war on terror. We hear these things over and over and most of them don't really mean anything. We tend to try to get even with people or undermine them by calling them a name, hurling an epithet like racist, even though what they're saying is not racist. So I don't think that um, overkill is a good thing. I think that it kills attention and it kills interest and it doesn't endorse causes, it diminishes causes. You can overkill anything if you keep harping on it until people become numb, until they become calloused, until they become almost anesthetized to what other people are screaming about. And that's not so difficult. What about the pseudo-journalists today? People like Chris Matthews, people like Megan Kelly, who simply shout over their interview subjects. They really just want to make speeches in the guise of asking someone else questions, and they do it through volume. And after a while, the volume is just staggeringly boring. It's hard to listen to what they say because they're so loud. Overkill impresses by trying to repeat and repeat and repeat, and instead, it just makes us numb. And the chant... The mantra loses its power. Think about if you're engaged in overkill, even with a good cause.
When I was managing an office in San Francisco, a representative of the local chamber of commerce came in. And he said, we'd like you to join the chamber. And I said, that sounds like a good idea for us. How much is it? He said, it's $400 a year. Let me tell you about your benefits. And I said, I don't care about the benefits. I'm sold. He said, well, let me tell you who some of the other members are. I said, I don't care who the members are. I think we should join. See my secretary. She'll draw you a check. He said, let me go through this brochure on the events we sponsor. He couldn't stop his spiel. It was overkill. And there was nothing that was going to stop him. I asked my tree guy about a tree that appears to have a dead branch, and I hear the history of the deciduous tree. I don't care. Can you cut off the dead branch, or will it come back to life? That's really all I want to know. Somebody from a local charity called me and started going through the script. And I said, I tell you what, you can send someone over here like you're talking about, and I'll give that person $500. Or... I'll commit to $1,000 right now, but don't send anyone. They had a hard time figuring that one out. Everyone is in the streets today with protests. But does anything really change the next day? A million-person march? One ethnic group out for this? A gender out for that? But when everybody goes home, does anything really change? There's an old proverb that says, when the singing stops, the revolution is over. Most people are aware and are influenced because they're angry, but they're influenced by the traffic delays and angry at the marchers. They're influenced by the inconvenience and angry at the cause. It doesn't do a whole lot of good. It doesn't muster support. Constantly overkilling and berating people with your message, no matter how lofty the goal, does not help. So whether it's the Pledge of Allegiance or the Lord's Prayer on a daily basis, does it resonate if it's merely rote and routine? In grammar school, we said the Pledge of Allegiance every day, and most people had no idea what the words meant. We said the Lord's Prayer every day, And most people had no idea what the words meant. It's like when you were young, at least in my case, and I heard that some people who lived in a house, because I lived in an apartment, had a finished basement. I thought it was a basement made in Finland. I thought it was some kind of Scandinavian design. Of course, the word was finished, but I thought it was Finnish. But it was routine. It was rote. That's what I heard every day. I thought Jingle Bells was about a one-horse soap and sleigh. Why the soap was in there, I didn't understand. But it's about a one-horse open sleigh. And I know I've just educated some of you right there. Do you pay attention to Facebook ads? I don't, except to look at how stupid they are. I mean, would you invest in a firm that simply puts an ad over and over again, like this Fisher Investments on Facebook, with their ridiculous claims? When you go to vote because people outside the voting area have signs for a candidate, do you change your mind about for whom you will vote? It's all overkill and it doesn't matter anymore. Do you really buy from infomercials? I know what you're saying right now. You're probably thinking, yes, but they wouldn't be on if enough people weren't buying something, sort of like spam. Somebody's buying it. I don't know. I think a lot of people go broke doing that.
Are you persuaded by automated phone calls that you get once a day or 20 times a week? The latest one is, hi everybody, I'm Barack Obama and I hang up. I don't care what he's pitching, what he's selling, what he's talking about. He's interrupting me and he's interfering with my life and he ought to be ashamed of himself, as should the people who put him up to it and distribute it. If you really want to influence and change behavior, if that's really your goal, ask these questions. What's in it for the viewer or the listener? That is, what's in it for the other person? If there's an appeal to my self-interest, now you're talking. But just continually yammering at me isn't going to change a thing. I don't know if some of you recall, but Miller Beer once had a very expensive and frequent, ubiquitous commercial. It's Miller time. And they would show these guys sitting around together having a beer because it was Miller time, whatever time of day that was. But out in the real world, what I observed was people said, hey, it's Miller time, let's have a bud. What good is that? A second question, is there a dramatic example that will get me to pay attention and change my mind? Is there something compelling enough to cause me to give it some thought and change my mind? Or is it just another empty kind of vision? The worst I can think of are these Lincoln commercials for Lincoln cars with, what's his name, McGonaghy, who's a distinguished actor. I like his work. But there's this metaphysical, ethereal kind of thing that they film with him and this Lincoln as though Lincoln is the second coming. And he falls into pools and he dreams and he's sitting in this car and it looks like he's orgasmic. It's ridiculous. It's laughable. And I laugh at him for doing it. I don't care what they paid him. And I laugh at Lincoln for thinking it has any power. But they play it over and over again. So my third question is, are you really informing or just inconveniencing? Are you really trying to tell me something? Or are you just inconveniencing me? Now, some of these drug commercials on TV are trying to inform you. They'll tell you what it will do for your blood pressure or for your cholesterol or for your diabetes or for your cancer treatments. And they'll tell you how the drug can ameliorate and mitigate certain symptoms and certain outcomes. Of course, this is undercut by the required disclaimers that say taking this drug may cause you to drive off a cliff, have suicidal thoughts, remove your left arm, or try to commit treason. And so somehow you say, well, wait a minute. It's the probability of all that. And so my final point on really trying to influence people is, are we talking about quality or quantity? If you want to impress somebody, a qualitative approach is better than a quantity approach. Remember that seminal, distinguished Apple ad at one of the very early Super Bowls where someone ran into the theater and, and threw a hammer at the screen of Big Brother, which was supposed to be, I guess, IBM or Microsoft, and that put Apple on the map. They only showed it that time in the uh, Super Bowl, but it had a lasting impact. I remember an advertising firm that started up here. Some guys left a larger firm. They started their own firm. And in the Providence Business News, the weekly business newspaper here, they took the entire back page. And the copy on the page showed them in their offices, and it said, this ad on this page took 33% of all of our working capital. We are investing it because we feel so strongly about the quality we provide. Now, I thought that was brilliant. 
I called them and said, hey, kudos to you. I can't use you, but man, I will refer people to you. I thought they were wonderful. So quality is the key, not quantity. Overkill doesn't work. After a certain amount of repetition, people just begin rolling their eyes back, no matter what you call them, what you insinuate, what you claim. So my question to you is, do you want them glazed or fixed and attentive? That's up to you. You want to learn more? Read my new book written with Marshall Goldsmith, Lifestorming. You can get it at alanweiss.com forward slash lifestorming or on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble or CEO 800 Reads and so forth. Thanks for being with me on The Uncomfortable Truth. I'll talk to you next time.